George Carlin joked that life is a near-death experience. But what if this clever wit is actually concealing the meaning of life itself? And if you could access this truth using some tricks to completely reset your mind, life, and soul, would you have the guts to do it? Welcome to the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Life is a near-death experience. The nuclear options at your fingertips. You wake up tomorrow to three large reset buttons on your nightstand. These are different than your standard alarm clock buttons of off, snooze, or F this, I'm not getting up today. These buttons instead are labeled mind, life, and soul. You somehow know they are legit and will immediately do a format and reset of the system in question. And you furthermore know that mind means resetting and restarting fresh with your brain. Life means starting over with society. And soul involves a reset of, well, everything. A total existential reboot to effectively begin evolution over from the Big Bang. If, in fact, that's what came first. If you were to slam down on this soul button, it would be in the hope that a restart of everything might take things in an entirely different direction and enable us to collectively answer that nagging question, why in the hell are we here, more effectively than we seem to be able to do today. Or if these big picture reset concepts are too overwhelming to start the day with, what might pushing any of these buttons mean for you personally? Well, we'll come back around to personalizing these buttons later. But if you'll bear with me, I think it's important to consider them as global metaphors for resetting our human nature first. So which, if any, would you push? Well, maybe you need a little more context. After all, you didn't even know this bizarre thought experiment was going to slap you in your exhausted face before even a drop of caffeine came your way. Confused and just wanting to go back to sleep, your favorite George Carlin quote pops into your head. If it's true that our species is alone in the universe, then I'd have to say the universe aimed rather low and settled for very little. You laugh because you feel very little in the face of this daunting challenge at 7 a.m. But then you pause and shake it off as you take in what you somehow know about each of these strange buttons. First, the mind reset button. It's fairly well known, even outside of scientific circles, that our brain suffers a massive evolutionary hangover. Some of the root causes for this chronic migraine-level headache are tribal behaviors, hidden biases, emotional short-circuiting, an inability to separate real stress from fabricated stress, challenges to being creative, and much more. But what if you could start over from before birth when about 250,000 nerve cells per minute are forming. But this time, you get to choose the influences and path that they take. In other words, you'd have absolute control over your brain, and you could even choose for it to be immune from external influences of media, politics, and maybe even your family if you wanted. Next, that daunting life button. As if starting your mind over fresh wasn't enough, what if you could purposely rewire not only your mind's billions of neural connections, but also the trillions of interactive ones you have with the rest of humanity? Resetting your life and restarting civilization might be tempting, but you might wonder if anything would get any better. Sure, chance might push things in different directions. Maybe Hitler, Confucius, or Jesus is never born. Or perhaps Genghis Khan is killed by his brother instead of the other way around. Considering his DNA, passed down through raping and pillaging, still exists nine centuries later in 8% of men across a large swath of the entire Asian continent. Him dying as a child might change a few things for the better. These are the what ifs of humanity's pivotal figures and moments that keep historians up at night if, in fact, you're wondering what keeps historians up at night. Finally, that potentially devastating or possibly awesome 
soul button to reset everything, really. And in this context, you know soul to mean not some immaterial part of your being theorized by the world's religions, but instead to simply mean existential purpose in life. Or as the late, great Christopher Hitchens once quipped, soul because there is no better metaphor. So if we assume the Big Bang is the best explanation that we've got, then this would suggest taking the chance that if we did things more intelligently, might we end up with better or different answers to the ultimate questions of life? You'd have to have a severe gambling problem to risk pushing this one, don't you think? Considering what we think we know about the randomness of the universe, the spontaneous inception of everything, and the progression of evolution, to start over and hope for the best seems tenuous at best. Imagine for a second if everything, for your mind, life, and soul, could restart completely differently. The entire arc of evolution has been about adaptation for survival, and therefore reproduction. And so, both the mental and cultural wiring that resulted from this process, which has taken millennia, caused a collective search for meaning. So, to summarize what the power of these three buttons represent, your mind evolved for survival, your life and society evolved for having more sex, and by our meaning, your soul evolved to find some sense of purpose once these primal urges for survival and reproduction were satisfied. So I guess I could end the entire podcast right there, because that about sums it all up. Each of these three systems, mind, life, and soul, has you born into layers of evolutionary, societal, and mental baggage. In other words, a very complex human nature evolved to attempt to deal with this mess. However, without a change to the core of our human nature, does it seem frivolous to even bother? Meaning, if you pushed any of these buttons without a guarantee that human nature itself might change drastically, what's the point? But what if you could enact a purposeful setting of new premises before you push the button? Meaning, a framework of new rules that rebuilds within. Okay, perhaps now we're getting somewhere. So now what? You're still in bed, not yet caffeinated, but you might have finally scratched the surface of something practical and useful here, which is supposed to be the point of philosophy in the first place. Let's try to map out a path to build on this progress. But first, let's briefly investigate why you should care about this at all, in case that still isn't clear. Then we'll see how these buttons could be applied to you instead. After that, we'll take a look at a psychological tendency that might make it difficult for you to take on the challenge of pushing any of these buttons. From there, we'll discuss what it means to evolve faster as a metaphor for embracing a philosophy for personal evolution. And finally, we'll discuss where this podcast series will go from here and how it will differ from this first episode for at least the first three seasons and wrap up with some things you can start experimenting with today. So buckle in if you're game for a little mental adventure. The worst year ever, please. So why should you care? And why would you want to push any of them? Well, let's take stock of the potential impact of the buttons, starting with your mind. Are you using your mind well? Are you in control of your biases, emotions, and creative potential? Would your life be on a better path with a mind that was more powerful and flexible? And how about your life? Is your work life productive and inspiring? Are your personal relationships in great order? How is your ability to cope with the rapid change on the horizon? Are you happy with where you've been and where you're heading? And what about your soul? Again, for lack of a better word. Beyond how you use your mind and live your life, do you act with purpose? Do you know why you're here? Can you face yourself in the mirror every morning with an evolving answer to that nagging question, what am I supposed to do? 
If you're in good shape on all those fronts, I'd say toss those reset buttons into the trash and maybe hit the snooze button to catch a few more Zs. Because brother or sister, you've got it all figured out, it seems. Or at least you've convinced yourself that you do. But don't worry, we'll probably talk about self-delusion in another podcast. But whether you're a perfect human or just think you are, in either case, this podcast isn't going to be for you. But if you're like me and most of the rest of humanity, living day to day presents ongoing struggles with these questions of mind, life, and soul. How many times have you replied, I'm fine, when asked how you're doing, knowing deep down that you're actually not fine at all? Being human isn't that easy. And being a notably good human, adding value to the world, living with purpose every single day after day, seems as possible as a unicorn turning water into wine while pigs fly overhead. You know, fairly unlikely. Back to the question. Why would we want to push any of these buttons? Is it better to reset any of these three things than to just hope things will improve on their own? Well, the world doesn't seem to be in a great place, for one thing. So a reset of one, or all three, might be a huge improvement. And I'm fairly sure humans are to blame. Let's face it, the squirrels aren't the ones driving cars into groups of innocent people on sidewalks. Nor are koala bears collectively causing climate change. And it's certainly not the iguanas causing derision in politics, to the point where some experts think the United States is 35% likely to end up in some sort of another civil war. And a recent Atlantic article claims that democracy is on the decline almost everywhere in the world. Although there is, in fact, a bizarre and well-documented conspiracy theory that a race of alien lizards, camouflaged as humans, are behind the scenes of almost all the political and powerful movements on Earth. They're called the reptilians, and I can't make this shit up. At least 12 million Americans claim to believe it's true. So Google it, and then try not to see Trump as a camouflaged human lizard with an alien agenda the next time you see him speaking in strangely formed English. I'm serious. Whether you love him or hate him, do it. It's worth the effort because crazy theories like this lift the darkness of it all just enough to let you laugh. A medicine that's good for us all. I suppose it's the political equivalent of the public speaking trick to picture your audience in their underwear to break the stress. Or skip Trump and pick your least favorite politician. It doesn't matter. This exercise in this podcast is not about politics nor is it about religion, science, or any other specific divisive issue, though these are all topics we'll investigate. Instead, it's about something much more fundamental that might just change the way you think and react to all of those types of issues. It's about learning to use your mind better, living a life you actually designed for yourself, and building a practice to regularly find meaning in all of it. But. I digress. So the world is messy and things aren't great, which might mean that some magical button that could effectively reset human nature or more might be awesome. Got it. Let's dissect this just a little more to see if we can get at some of the root issues causing the most damage and see if our reset buttons might help. So I started writing the first season of this podcast back in December of 2016. At the time, there were all kinds of ridiculous discussions online about whether or not 2016 was the worst year ever. Because of course, if it's not sensational, people don't look anymore. But a Google search of 2016 worst year ever reveals that, in sort of fact, a highly reliable Gallup poll says, nope, 2017 was actually worse. Worse than the worst year ever. Wow. And now it's 2018, and I can't even imagine what's worse than the worst than the worst. 
So for a quick break from all this heavy resetting the world thinking, let's go back to this root of all evils year of 2016 and dissect it, if only for a quick laugh. Now, to be fair, 2016 hadn't been great. It was the year of a spike in fake news that led to a slow death or at least a challenged existence of facts. Bad ideology was growing steadily. Terrorism, Zika virus, renewed racial tension, drastically polarizing politics that was further amplified by the election of Trump. Game of Thrones announced there were only two seasons left on HBO. I mean, some serious looking depressing stuff. <laughs> Bad trends to be sure, but the Cubs finally won the World Series and as a Chicago native, that was something positive at least. I actually don't even like baseball. I was just sick of hearing about it from all the forlorn Cubs fans for so long. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Dad. So all of this led to the doomsday clock to be moved to its most dire level ever at 2.5 minutes to midnight. Now, if you're not familiar with this soul-crushing concept, it's a metaphorical visualization of how close humanity is to imploding, published by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. It's kind of like the mother of all metaphors, the grim reaper at our collective doorstep, and humanity is for whom its bell tolls. And 2016 rolled right into 2017, with all kinds of shit happening that seemed like a bad dystopian B-movie, or maybe a real-life episode of Black Mirror. The conversations and scenarios going on just didn't even seem real. Russia hacking the US election, the US president getting into ego battles on Twitter, and now recently in 2018, literally defending his sanity on social media, cars driven by both US neo-Nazis and radical Islamic terrorists into crowds of pedestrians. I mean, it all sounds like an overblown Hollywood plot that makes you groan at the ridiculousness of it all. But sadly, it's true. Whatever true means, that is. Considering 80% of kids in a recent Stanford study can't tell real news from fake. I'd venture to say the cosmic writers of this surreal circus are going to need to smoke a lot of weed to come up with the next round of unbelievable storylines for 2018 if they want to top all of this nonsense. Good luck, my friends. And to plant a quick flag, this will lead us to a discussion here today about cognitive dissonance. This psychological reality is causing a growing inability to separate ourselves from our entrenched views and a worldview that's shrinking in concert with our availability biases. But come on, people of the interwebs, 2016 is the worst year ever, and now 2017 even worse. I'm not the first person to highlight just how ridiculous this is, of course. But let's run through a few examples just for fun. Go ahead, tell the people of the mid-14th century when the Black Plague decimated one-third of the population of Europe that 2016 was worse. Dogs were feasting on the carcasses of your neighbors in the streets. Or tell that to the people bordering the Mongolian steppe in the early 13th century when Genghis Khan was systematically slaughtering millions of people. World War I, World War II, Russian Revolution, Stalin, Hitler. Did anyone putting forth all these 2016 is the worst year ever discussions hear of these people and events which killed tens of millions of people in very short spans of years? Need I go on? Will Durant, one of the great historians of the last century, once quipped that most of us spend too much time on the last 24 hours and too little on the last 6,000 years. Amen, brother. Okay, so 2016, probably not the worst year ever when it comes to the realities of life, death, mayhem. Nevertheless, I'll give the internet wizards who started these sensational rumors this. From the standpoint of root issues, beginning to dissolve humanity's cohesive tissue, 2016 was indeed a bad seed year. But what's the cause for creating this sensationalism in the first place? Most likely, philosophical and psychological issues 
beneath the surfaces of our collective mind, life, and soul are the ones producing these types of things in the world. 2016 into 2017, and now 2018, have been vintage years for continuing to lose our defenses against bad ideas. Critical thinking is on the decline and seems absent from most education the world around. We are distracted by a zillion self-inflicted interruptions. As an example, a Dutch city recently installed pedestrian stop-walk signals on the ground to protect their smartphone-addicted zombie residents from getting killed at crosswalks. The Atlantic recently ran an article about how smartphones might have destroyed the social potential of the current generation. And it's a compelling argument worth reading. Happiness is declining as we get richer, and people are getting lonelier even as social media explodes in usage. Creativity is on the decline, and tribalism is amped way up in one of the more negative political climates. Well, who knows, possibly since Roman times. Artificial intelligence is starting to outthink its masters, and emotional intelligence is declining in a world of social media where most don't listen or even read more than the headline before reposting opinions they barely have enough context to understand on a surface level. But this is easier so as to avoid the cognitive dissonance, which comes from trying to have ideas that oppose your life's internal narrative. But we'll come back to that later. Lenses into the mind, life, and soul. So let's run with this for a second. You might want to push one or all of these reset buttons because the world isn't all shiny, happy people. And you probably aren't either. So let's say you realize that the root issues within our human nature became so bad that you think everything needs a reset. Do you have the guts? What might get fixed if you push any of these three buttons? But what if you looked at this another way? For now, let's overlook the greater issue of human nature. So while I initially framed these as being global resets, what if you instead took these reset buttons as personal reset buttons? Let's relook at each of them in this new light. First, the mind. Do you think critical and creative thinking would relieve you of tribalism, egoism, and susceptibility to emotional manipulation? Would you be more creative and enjoy life more if you didn't have these hindrances? If you pushed it, how would you like your mind to rebuild? The same as it is now? Or with an evolved critical and creative thinking capacity, coupled with far better tools to manage your emotions, biases, and self-delusions? Next, the life. Go into the bathroom and look in the mirror. Look that person in the eye. Are you really living a life you desire and the one that you designed for yourself? Do you see how deep the roots of society and your culture go towards shaping who and what you're able to become? If you could shed some of the thornier parts of our human nature at your own volition, would you learn to live better? If you could reset all of your relationships with different foundations of your choosing, how might that enhance your life? If you could opt out of parts of your culture or societal norms that aren't serving you without guilt or fear of reprisal, would you be happier? If you could embrace the rapid evolution that's coming as a creative renaissance instead of fearing change, would you be better off? Finally, soul. While you're still in the bathroom, ask that person in the mirror if they know why you're here. If Jean-Paul Sartre were able to tap into your nest cam via some cosmic feed, would he say that you're living in bad faith? In other words, are you wearing the masks that society or your culture, job, religion, or family want you to wear that don't necessarily represent your true self? 
Are you challenging yourself every day to step across the bridge that Kierkegaard called anguish? Are you aspiring to be Nietzsche's Superman and putting in the work it takes to ascend the mountain? If you were in Viktor Frankl's deathbed looking back, would you feel like you had found meaning in your life or even bothered to look? Have you had enough of my existential what-ifs that are trying to shed light on the person you can aspire to be? I hope not because I have dozens of these and as far as podcasts go, I'll be here all week, so tip your waitresses. But at this point, you might be asking yourself, why is being human so hard? Well, for one thing, because evolution has strapped us with shit that helped us survive that we no longer need for the most part. Let's dissect one root issue as an example of something that's core to the concept of evolving faster. And the goal of evolving faster is to leverage philosophy and psychology concepts towards rebuilding a practice to upgrade your mind, life, and soul. So one fundamental that seems to be relevant at this very root level of the very first podcast is cognitive dissonance. In our context here, we're referring to the internal battle to change our own minds because it's mentally challenging to hold two opposing ideas in one mind. And it's especially challenging to evolve away from what we've been culturally programmed to think and what our social tribes expect us to believe. Cognitive dissonance is really just psych 101 stuff that you may have read and probably forgot after the test. But I'm not sure people process just how relevant or prevalent of an issue this is becoming in a social media world. A world where your mental heuristics and implicit biases must kick in all the time because you literally don't have time to think anymore. So let's dissect this internal civil war that more people should be fighting, but aren't. The Civil War Within Your Head The American mathematician and philosopher, Alfred North Whitehead, once said, a clash of doctrines is not a disaster, it's an opportunity. But what if that clashing is within your mind? Is a civil war around a core topic a survivable event inside the skull of one person? Who fires the first shot? And who raises the flag of surrender to end the conflict? Let's raise the stakes. What if the doctrine in question is something ideologically critical, like a belief in God or religion? You might think that's nearly impossible, but the Indian neuroscientist V.S. Ramachandran has proved it's possible. And yes, I'm skipping trying to say his first name, and I'm not even attempting to properly roll my R's to say his last name correctly. My apologies, friend. Anyway, he's done studies on split-brain patients where this exact scenario has occurred. One half of a person's brain was an atheist, and the other half believed in God. I want to have that guy, well, both of those guys, I suppose, over for a dinner party and hear the one-man theological debate. In fact, the theological issues alone raised by this situation may have to be the topic of an entirely different podcast. But back to the point, this is obviously an extreme example, but the mental civil war does apply to you. Everyone knows they get conflicted about things in life. The psychological mechanics of it, however, may be unknown to you and could be causing problems. The internal struggle itself is a mental condition called cognitive dissonance. Any human with a brain will suffer from this, some more than others, because it's simply an everyday reality of the human experience. The question is, how well do you cope with it? And do you acknowledge the discord about the issues that matter? Or do you ignore them because of the discomfort this condition makes you experience? And where does that leave you on important issues that you're choosing not to face? Are you avoiding critically essential topics that are dear to the person you aspire to be and possibly don't even know it? But first, why does it even matter? 
Simply put, being torn about issues causes anxiety and angst. What happens next with most people suffering from cognitive dissonance is that they make a wrong decision, no decision, or come up with justifications for the simplest option there is to avoid conflict. Most people don't even know this happens. It's completely automatic. So what happens when the stakes are high and the dissonance you're hiding from is religion, politics, sexuality, or some other major issue. You may be hiding from who you really are because of this psychological tendency to avoid letting in some conflicting viewpoint to your current worldview. You might be drastically self-censoring your life because you've trained yourself to avoid the very unpleasant feeling of cognitive dissonance. This isn't some new discovery. Humans have known about cognitive dissonance for at least two and a half millennia in the writing of the ancient Greeks. Aesop's fable of the fox and the grapes has a hungry fox decide that the grapes are sour to resolve in his mind the conflict between hunger and his inability to get at them. So he adopted a worldview of sour grapes to make himself comfortable with the fact that he had failed in reaching his goal. So how might this mindset have changed your life for the worse? What small twists like this shaped your world? Another problem is that this leads to a cascade of other psychological traps. For example, once you've started to justify or convince yourself of a position to dissipate the cognitive dissonance, then you'll continue to build a case. Let's say you're in a family of staunch Republicans, but you're having challenged feelings about their positions. This dissonance will start to cause conflicts for you in your life with your family. Now, most people will lessen the conflict, probably by going along and then justifying their positions. Because you don't want to fight with them, you'll subconsciously flood your inputs with data to support those views. This is called confirmation bias, a gathering of data that makes you feel good about a dishonest position. This is why Republicans watch Fox News and Democrats watch MSNBC. These biased, one-sided inputs make your brain feel safe because of the continual reconfirmation of the position you've decided upon to ease the dissonance. It will also lead to bandwagon or herd mentality and potentially towards a downward spiral of other biases. Now, cognitive dissonance isn't all bad, of course. It's likely we're still here and at the top of the food chain, at least in part because of it. It seems likely that it's a psychological development from evolution that formed to protect us in one way or another. The group cohesion that may result from not following dissonant instincts to go against the grain might have been a powerful survival mechanism selected for over centuries of evolution. So what are the sour grapes you've made in your life? What decisions and stances have you ignored, justified, or been hypocritical about merely to avoid the unpleasant nature of the feeling. In the movie The Matrix, the character Morpheus calls it like having a splinter in your mind. It's a discomfort you're trying to ignore. Will Durant also once wrote that inquiry is fatal to certainty. If you think about it, overcoming the discomfort of cognitive dissonance is as simple as those five words. If you honestly question the discomfort and the issues causing it, it will lead to firing the first shots in your mental civil war on this issue. The only way to reach a ceasefire is to expose the dissonance and work hard to dissipate it. It won't happen either quickly or easily. Actually, if I've said things that challenge your worldview a little too much here, your own cognitive dissonance may try to persuade you that this podcast is a bunch of crap. And perhaps it is. But maybe, just maybe, the conflict you're feeling is the start of an internal war. Have you been afraid of the conflict because you can't handle the work it would take to fight through it? But ask yourself, how might your life look if you endured the Civil War? 
Isn't it better to be true than compliant? Are you hiding your head in the sand like an ostrich, even though ostriches don't do that? Maybe the Hollywood metaphor is better. Get that splinter out of your mind, lest it sinks in deeper. The Evolve Faster Mindset So this platform I call Evolve Faster is my sort of laboratory to write and think about ideas in an attempt to be a better human, which can be surprisingly difficult. But with a series of minor mindset shifts, it doesn't have to be so hard. I've been experimenting with these ideas on a daily basis for over a decade and did a TEDx talk about one aspect of it back in 2015. I'm sharing the platform in the hope that learning from my many mistakes might help someone else's evolution go a little faster. The three lenses or perspectives which I use to try to dissect the challenges of the human condition, so to speak, are mind, life, and soul. And also, you probably surmise by now that there are also three core mindsets or pillars, philosophy, psychology, and practice, three Ps. Philosophy gives us dozens of centuries of great ideas and thinkers who have dissected just about every issue ad nauseum. But most people don't bother to look because reading philosophy can feel so esoteric and impractical. But philosophy also provides a toolkit of conceptual weapons that you can use to bend your neuroplastic mind in new directions. One example of these tools is the thought experiment we're using right now to ponder what might happen if you hammered your fist down on any of those mind, life, and soul reset buttons. Now, psychology is a kind of other side of this mental coin. The critical and rational thinking practices of philosophy are less useful without an understanding of our psychology as shaped by evolution, society, and cultures. The biases and contradictions within each brain are landmines that can either protect you or blow your metaphorical legs off. But the more you learn about them, the better equipped you can become at using your mind well to get trapped less often. And finally, the third pillar is practice. You will struggle to modify your philosophical outlook and psychological faculties without a practice to incrementally upgrade both. Sadly, this isn't really stuff you can just read once, maybe repost to your social media accounts, and then just wake up changed the next day. You need to apply challenging life experimentation to force an acknowledgement of issues and also prescribe yourself incremental paths to change. Philosophy, psychology, and practice. These are the three pillars we'll be experimenting with to try and evolve faster. I'll try to dissolve a little bit of all three into the essence of each podcast I write. I won't always get it right, but each day I try is a step down the path. The practice mindset pillar is equally critical to the first two because you'll only get out of this what you put into it. This isn't some self-help workbook that will magically make everything easier, though I wish it was that simple. Instead, life experimentation and thought experiments force you to challenge your worldview, face the resultant cognitive dissonance, and then rewrite your narrative one day and page at a time. Changing yourself with lasting effect is not easy. These challenges, traps, and hindrances have been baked into our human nature for hundreds of thousands of years. I've barely sketched out a framework of some of this for myself after spending over a decade, I mean a whole life really, trying to figure out what I needed to work on the most. Even after all that time I've invested writing and thinking about this, I'm still barely an expert in my own psychosis. And also, as Socrates said, I cannot teach anyone anything anyway. I can try to invent thought experiments and metaphors like the reset buttons, but only you can decide to hit them and what it means if you do. 
what does it mean to evolve faster? All this might lead you to ask, but can human nature really be changed? I suppose it's safe to say that I must think it can, as I've started creating an entire platform around this idea. Which brings me to the name of this podcast. Evolution is the perfect metaphor for the change that's possible. Over billions of years, it has shown incredible flexibility and power. Now, stick with me here for three representative examples from evolution that showcase the metaphor's power to meet our needs here, and maybe just a little comedic relief. So first off, lizard penises. Of all things, actually evolve faster to stay ahead of mating needs. Six times faster than other traits, in fact. And no, I swear that's not some callback to the reptilians and Trump. Scientists speculate the rapid evolution might be explained by females requiring shapes that better fit or um, stimulate them. I'm not sure if this has been studied yet, but all of this would imply that Tinder for lizards must be a pretty nasty and competitive marketplace. So the next example from evolution is a creature called the centaphore, which looks like a jellyfish, but is vastly different internally. It is now thought to be one of the earliest links in the evolutionary chain, which then created a unique parallel evolutionary path. It's really like an alien on this planet. And finally, the third example is that scientists have recently edited the genetic sequences of human embryos using the CRISPR biological gene editing tool. The staggering impact of this is that these modifications will lead to inheritable changes in the human genome. So in summary, these three quick examples prove that evolution can selectively go faster, species can evolve uniquely in parallel to others, and the way evolution itself works can be totally rewritten. So if all of this is possible as a species, it's certainly possible for us as individuals. So this is what it means to evolve faster as a metaphor for personal change through a practice of applied philosophy and psychology. This first podcast has been an introduction to the overall Evolve Faster platform. From here, we'll delve into the first three seasons of the Evolve Faster podcast which, as you'll hear, are in a slightly different format than this introduction. We've worked hard to create something unique, and I think you'll like it. Season one will be about 10 podcasts on big questions relating to mind. What is the truth? Can we trust reason? Why do we have emotions? Does happiness define the good? What is identity? What is creativity? Next, for season two, will be another 10 podcasts on questions related to life. What is society? Why are humans so fallible? What does it mean to be an individual? What is reality? Do humans even matter? Finally, season three will explore some of the big questions through this lens I call soul. Why are we here? Do we have a soul? Is there a God? What happens next after death? And of course, the existential favorite, what in the hell am I supposed to do? The point of all this philosophical and psychological investigation will be to work towards a basis of better questions with which to investigate our lives and being human. With better questions, you can consider a practice of life experimentation to challenge and broaden the boundaries you may not even realize are constructed around you. This podcast and this work is also foundational investigation for the books and movies and other parts of the platform I'm working on for this greater Evolve Faster journey. So if you're still listening, I hope you're interested in seeing how deep this rabbit hole goes together. You have to fire the first shot. It's time to fire the first shot in your own internal civil war. If you view pushing one or all three of these buttons as a nuclear option, it might finally threaten to blow away the walls 
you may have up around some of your unchallenged ideas and outdated modes of thinking. So ask yourself, what are you hiding from? What conflict have you sensed recently and overcome by justifying a potentially bad decision for yourself? What will you do instead the next time you might be conflicted on something? If your brain is comfortable with all its positions, you're probably not challenging yourself. You should feel conflict. It's very hard, but very necessary to ask better questions. Answers are a dime a dozen. You want to be armed with more and better questions that defy answers by forcing deeper investigation. So now that you have a clearer view of your mind, can you manage it interacting with other minds in society and all of culture's influence? And will it lead you to better footing on which to stand with the big existential questions of life? The only questions that really matter. Here's a first life experiment to try out. Pick a big picture issue in your life that you haven't questioned in a long time. Maybe politics, religion, relationships, social life, or something you know you've been conflicted on before and force yourself to question it. Write down the position you think you've settled on. You may even find this is hard to do if you don't really believe it. Now Google it for about 10 articles or videos on the exact opposite view. Watch them without judgment and take notes. Reread your position. How do you feel? First shots of the Civil War fired? But besides this specific life experiment, I'd like to leave you with a more general challenge. What are the new premises you'd set for a reset of your mind? Meaning, what if you wiped the hard drive of your mind clean and started to rethink how you think entirely? Or what about a complete reset of society, which for you individually might mean shredding the social contract you've metaphorically signed and rewriting your own? And what about a reset of everything, a complete existential reset as to how you tackle the big questions of life? Conclusion, a call to arms for change. We fear change because change is hard. And we fear hard things because we might fail. But what if change is good? And what if certain kinds of fear are good? And what if failing is actually really, really good? Because in a way, don't you have these reset buttons at your fingertips every morning? Every day of your life, you can begin to reboot yourself by resetting the premises upon which you live your life. It's not easy. In fact, it takes a lot of practice, but it is possible. And one reason it's not easy is that to enact your newly reset premises, you'll likely be at odds with those that society has arbitrarily set for you. And even though you can't reset society itself, you can rewrite what Edmund Burke called your social contract. And even though you can't reset evolution itself, you can reboot your approach to your search for meaning day to day. What if just taking on this challenge was enough to change everything for you? All three of the reset buttons are just metaphors, of course. But the reset button is hope. The reset button is empowerment. The reset button is an enlightened call for optimism. But the reset button is only available if you own up to needing a reset to your mind, life, soul, or all of the above. If you know you can reset things, it puts the onus back to you, and it belongs on you. Just as for your friend or neighbor, it belongs on them. You have to fire the first shot in your own civil war, because your internal opposition will be the most likely reason you'll never attempt to push any of these reset buttons in the first place. So which one will you push? Do you have the guts to push any of them? And what is the narrative of the new reality you'll replace it with? George Carlin also once joked that life is a near-death experience. 
It's brilliant because, like all great humor, it reveals a painful truth that most of us refuse to accept or even acknowledge. Each day is, like it or not, one step closer to being dead. So basically, I'm ending on a high note. But think about it. Your outlook on that statement is everything. Do you see one step closer to death as something to fear or a challenge to overcome? Well, while you ponder that, I'll leave you with some profound philosophical wisdom from the lead singer of the band Tool, a one-of-a-kind artist named Maynard James Keenan. I saw them last year in Chicago. At the beginning of a song of theirs called Opiate, and after some political commentary about the depressing state of the world, he reassured the crowd by saying, everything's gonna be okay, or not. Good luck. I could probably end the entire podcast series on that note as well. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.